The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the frightening things about economics is that money doesn't have any permanent value. You could be the richest person in the world with a big pile of cash sitting in front of you, and today you could use that cash to buy whatever you wanted. But it's possible that that same pile of cash could be completely worthless tomorrow. Any of you who saw your retirement savings or the retirement savings of someone you loved drop by 50% about a decade ago, learned in those days that money has no permanent value. It's nothing new, of course. Money has always been a fickle master. Those who are most successful in attaining wealth are also most susceptible to despair when the market crashes. The consequences of losing everything can be devastating. But perhaps worst of all is realizing that you had invested yourself in something that had no permanent value. Money is a great example because you don't have to work hard to see that dollars are just bits of paper. It just so happens that right now we're all agreed on what those bits of paper are worth, but it's not a permanent thing. I suppose it becomes a bit harder to see that truth with some of the more sturdy things of life. If you trade in your dollars for gold and for silver, you begin to feel like you really have something. You have something that will last. Gold and silver are precious and rare. But that doesn't mean that they have permanent value. Gold and silver are worthless. Imagine, for instance, that there's a famine and there's no food to be had. Gold and silver are useless to the person who is hungry if there's no food available to buy. Or take any of the other things that can seem sturdy and permanent in this life. Your home, your job, your health, your family. 
When times are good, it's easy to think of those things as permanent. We talk about taking things for granted, and that's just, that's just what I mean. When you get right down to it, though, is there anything in this life that you can really count on? When Paul warns against boasting, he realizes how easy it is for us to put stock in impermanent things, things that don't last, things that don't have any intrinsic value. But Paul takes it to another level. He strikes at even the very best things that this world has to offer. And here's what I mean. There are lots of religions and philosophies in this world that understand that life is fleeting and that material things don't last. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that consumerism and materialism are wasteful and foolish. And so those philosophies and religions recommend that you invest yourself in something better, something transcendent. Try wisdom, for instance. Or try honor. Try beauty. Try living a noble and upright life. Try leaving a legacy of generosity and kindness so that they name a building after you or start a foundation in your memory. Don't boast in how much money you have or how big your house is or how powerful you are. Instead, make your boast how you've helped others, how you paid it forward, how you've lived decently, how you were kind and caring and thoughtful, how you didn't judge but were merciful, how you tried to be a good person. I had a conversation once with someone who was hoping I'd do a funeral for her someday. I could tell that we weren't on the same page about what a funeral is for, and so I asked her what she expected me to say at her funeral. She thought about it for a minute, and she replied, I want you to tell them that I tried my best. I think that's a really common answer, maybe a really instinctive answer, even for us. What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? You don't want them to say that you were perfect. Everyone knows that that's not true. They'd laugh the preacher out of the pulpit if he said that about you. But she tried her best. That's something we can all get behind. That's certainly something to be proud of. It sounds pretty good. If everyone together thought more carefully about these important things in life, and if everyone took pride in doing their best, the world would certainly be a better place, wouldn't it? But Paul pulls the rug out from under that kind of thinking. Even the very best person, a person whom everyone admires, a person who can do no wrong, a person who does everything well, even that person has no grounds for boasting. For as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Paul's referring to Jeremiah chapter 9, and it's worth hearing the whole passage. Here's what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's grave danger in boasting in yourself. Of course, the hubris that comes from overblown pride, from downright arrogance, 
and excessive self-confidence. That's dangerous, and everybody knows it. Nobody likes being around an arrogant person. And the arrogant person gets himself in trouble because he thinks that he's better than he actually is. But there's danger in boasting in yourself even when it doesn't spill over into full-blown arrogance. There's danger in the simple self-satisfaction that comes from thinking that you've managed to be pretty good all on your own. There's danger, of course, that you might think of yourself more highly than you ought, that you might sacrifice some of your integrity in order to keep up your appearances, or you might put others down in order to ensure that you have a reason to boast. But those aren't the only dangers. I think the greater danger is probably that boasting in yourself finally leads to despair. For none of the things that we boast in, even the very best things, none of them last. And what then? What will you do when they're gone? Maybe you've heard stories of professional athletes who are extremely successful. They win a bunch of games and they make a ton of money. And then injury strikes. And they can't play anymore. But at least they still have their money, right? Until they've spent it all and more. And then what? Then what's left? Those are stories of rock-bottom despair. And that's not just true for professional athletes who have such extreme, visible success. That's true for anyone who boasts in anything that can and will go away. And even if you only boast to yourself, even if it's only in your heart, it's the stories you tell yourself about what it makes for a good, happy, and successful and comfortable life. It's those stories that are a setup for a big fall. But Paul doesn't warn against boasting simply because it's not a good way to live, simply because it's dangerous. He warns against boasting because there is something that is worth boasting. There is something that has permanent value, something that lasts, something on which you can stand even in the presence of God. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Don't boast in riches or might or success, of course. But don't even boast in your family, your health, your happiness. Don't even boast in your sacrifices, your kindness, your charity, your deeds of selfless love. Instead, boast in the Lord. God says in Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But it's not just because God is higher and better and holier than you that you should boast in him. In fact, by all rights, that means your end, your destruction. For who can stand in the presence of such a holy, high, and awesome God? No. Boast in the Lord, because not only is he higher and better and holier than you, but he also delights in practicing steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Boast in the Lord, who is your source of life in Christ Jesus. Boast in the Lord, who sent you his own Son to be your wisdom and your righteousness and your sanctification and your redemption. For how many of you were something when you came into the church, when you were called by the gospel? How many of you had something to boast in? I imagine that most of you were actually babies, baptized, washed, 
born into the church with absolutely nothing to offer, completely dependent, no grounds for boasting, helpless on your own, nothing to contribute except your sin. And even if you weren't a baby when you were baptized, you were like a baby. For as Jesus says, unless you repent and become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Some folks balk at the notion of infant baptism, but the reality is that every baptism is an infant baptism. Whether you're a baby or an adult, you come to the baptismal font with nothing to offer, completely dependent on God's mercy, no grounds for boasting, helpless and lost on your own, nothing to contribute except your sin. And God, who created the world from nothing, did one better. He took you, who were nothing, and made you into something. Everything that God does is of that character, taking things that are nothing, worthless, despised, wretched, and even dead, and making them into something, precious, honorable, blessed, and alive. The folks at Babel had it all wrong, thinking that they would make a great name for themselves in building a tower that reached into the heavens. That's not where God is to be found. And no name that any man can make for himself carries any weight. Instead, where is God found? He is found in the depths, even the depths of the grave. That's where he's found, calling for the lowly and the despised, for those who have nothing to boast in, those who are at their wit's end, those who are in utter despair, those who dwell in the shadow of death. He's found there, making a name for those people who have a no name of their own in which to boast. He's found there in the waters of the Jordan, not baptizing John, but being baptized, sullying himself in the water with all those repentant sinners, taking the position of one who is humble and lowly in order that he can exalt the humble and lowly to the glory of his Father. And see just how humble he is. Jesus, who has every reason to boast, every legitimate claim to pride and self-satisfaction, what does he do except receive every good thing from his Father? It wasn't his own voice that looked up to heaven and said, I am your beloved Son with whom you should be well pleased. What happened instead? He received his acclamation from above. His heavenly Father said, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. His heavenly Father is well pleased with him because he has come into this world to save you, to make something of you, to give you a reason to boast in him, to give you something permanent and eternal, something that never loses its value, something that no one can take from you. He has come to give you his own goodness, his own righteousness. He has come to draw you up, to forgive all your sins, and to raise you to a new life. There are times when it can seem like this world is really on to something good. When the economy is healthy, when people are happy with their jobs, when everybody rallies behind a noble cause. But it doesn't take long to see that the wisdom and understanding of this world have very little to offer, and nothing permanent at that. Indeed, Jesus says that God has hidden the mysteries of the kingdom from the wise and understanding and instead has revealed them to little children. He has revealed them to the likes of you and me. Make that your boast. Hold on to that 
as your confidence. Make this your song of joy. Sing praise to God with Jesus who sang in the psalm, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. To him alone be all glory and honor in his kingdom now and forever. And may the peace of God which passes all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.